and welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand here, as always, with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Julia. Do you know what this is? What is it? This is episode 10. So Double double digits. Double digits. I'm, in some ways, I, I'm at a loss for words, for once. Uh, in some ways, <laughs> it feels like we've done a lot more than 10 episodes to me. Mm-hmm. In a good way. In a, it feels like this has just been something we've always done, um, which I like. And in other ways, I can't believe we got to 10. <laughs> so uh, for for episode 10 and also for our, our last episode of 2019, um, we've decided that we're going to do a kind of little, uh, little end of year wrap up um, with some things that are uh, pieces of advice that we often give or conversations that we often have uh, that are too short to be podcast episodes on their own, but are, you know, our little nuggets of things that we like to talk to people about. Um, I recently was talking with someone who listens to the podcast and they were saying, I can't believe that you haven't talked on the podcast yet about how important it is to wear earplugs in noisy venues. I was like, why? Because that's the thing I talk about all the time. I was like, you know, we should have an episode where we just, uh, uh, go through a, a bunch of these little, little pieces of advice. Just followed. lots of unsolicited advice. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So here we are. We'll just preach at you for a little while. That's right. But if you don't like it, you can you can turn us off or just fast forward or or ignore mm-hmm. us. Not not that you would do that. I'm sure. Mm-mm. Yeah. But here's what you definitely shouldn't do: is listen to the podcast too loud and risk damaging your ears. <laughs> That's right. Well, okay. So um, well, yeah. Why don't we jump in with that one then? Since you, <laughs> since you, with that segue, with that very How's smooth that segue. segue. All right, listeners. So there are, oh, it's funny to call you listeners, especially in this context. Okay. So there are a number of ways that you can beat up your body that your body can recover from, right? You work out hard, your muscles are sore, and it makes you stronger. You fall and you skin your knee, and then miraculously your body heals. Uh, but as it turns out, your auditory system is a little bit different. Uh, most of the advice I'm giving today, I do not uh, have the authority or medical background or anything like that to uh, to actually be able to say, like, I'm this kind of doctor. But I think together, Jonathan, is it reasonable for you and I to say, like, we know enough about ears and auditory physiology that we actually are this kind of doctor? Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I we think for these purposes, I think listening. we're, I think we're okay. I think we're safe. <laughs> the deal is if you listen to music too loudly, it can cause irrevocable damage to the, 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 the actual like structure of your inner ear in a way that you can't recover from. Um, so listening to music too loud, uh, listening to anything too loud, um, can, can cause permanent damage to, the, to the, your hearing system. Um, and so the way that you should avoid that is by wearing earplugs uh, or listening to music at a, at a softer level. Um, when, I, when I teach about this in class, uh, my students are always like, okay, you know, I put up this chart, and I'm like, you listen to 100 decibels for this many minutes, it causes damage, whatever. And they say, well, how do I know if I'm listening to music too loud? Um, and the the kind of general guideline that you can follow is if you are listening to headphones um, in a quiet space, standing next to someone, and they can hear the music, that's probably too loud. Mm-hmm. Which is a lot of people do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, just, just observationally walking around, uh, I can hear a lot of people's music. Mm-hmm. So turn it down is one option. Uh, if you really love listening to music loud, the time that I love listening to music loud is when I'm running, it just really pumps me up and I love it. Um, don't do it for too long. This is all additive. So, you know, don't do it for too long. 
Um, one other thing that I sometimes hear from students is they will say, well, I've gone to so many concerts and listened to so much loud music at this point. I'm just in trouble no matter what, and it doesn't matter. Um, and that's a terrible attitude to have. Uh, and in fact, because hearing loss is, is additive, um, even if you have already done some damage or you have already sustained some, some, some hearing loss um, from noise exposure, uh, you can always prevent additional loss or damage by, uh, you know, changing your ways now. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, oh, wait, oh, sorry, hold on. Here's okay. So there's a, <laughs> there's a thing that I do um, for my students and I will open it up to all of our listeners too. If you send me a picture um, of, of yourself wearing earplugs in a noisy setting, I will print the picture out and I will put it up uh, on my office wall under a sign that says wall of champions, which is just a bunch of pictures of students wearing earplugs at concerts or while chainsawing or whatever. And people come into my office and they say, oh, what are those pictures? And I say, oh, that's my wall of champions. Those are my students who care about their, their hearing and are, you know, wearing earplugs. And the people will say, oh, wow, they look really cool. And I'll say, I know, don't they look super cool protecting their ears? And they'll be like, yeah, they're really cool. So you too, listeners, can be on that wall. So send me a picture of yourself wearing earplugs in a noisy setting to thejuiceandsqueeze at gmail.com, and I will put it up on my office wall. And you can also just um, email us there with your other questions and comments. And you can also use the contact form on our website, which is juiceandsqueeze.net. And there's a contact button. And we always love hearing from you. So thanks for your emails so far. We also have stickers, um, which we mentioned previously. And, and we've gotten some requests for stickers. So if you're emailing Julia a photo of yourself, or even if you're not, you can also ask for a sticker. And I bet she'll send you one. I will. So I, I love your advice, Julia. And uh, it's really good. It's also you know dangerously close to research areas that I can talk for a long time about. But just to put in one more plug so I can contribute... You know, one of the kind of challenging things about hearing loss is that you can have changes to your auditory system that you're not really aware of. And so these little subtle changes that you might even go to an audiologist and they would not be out of normal ranges seem to affect many people's ability to understand speech and noise. And also, even if you're kind of successful at doing that, they can sort of change um, how hard your brain has to work to do that, um, which is what we focus on in my lab. So even if you are kind of not really worried about your hearing, uh, these kind of preventative measures can help you not only now, but your future self. It's a great way to take care of your um, hearing and speech and communication and all that stuff that becomes increasingly important as we get older. So listen to Julia, right? <laughs> I was giggling when you first started talking. So just to put in another plug, oh, like, oh. is that on purpose? Oh man, I missed it. Okay. <laughs> I, I, can we pretend I did that on purpose? Yeah, it was okay, clever. Oh, well done. Mm -hmm. Julia, do you have any other health-related ones that we could talk about since we're on sort of hearing health? Um, one time, my mom's dentist said something that has haunted me for my whole life and has like really changed, uh, uh, really changed my behavior. Um, she said, brush your teeth twice a day and then floss the teeth you want to keep. Ooh. Yeah. Um, I've done a little research about flossing. Turns out flossing is super important and, and uh, uh, really good for, you know, taking care of your teeth and gums. Um, to be clear, I'm not this kind of doctor, so I'm just, you know, passing along what my mom's dentist has said and then what my, my internet research has since revealed. Um, but there's, a, there's a, um, an interesting story that I want to tell here. Um, I once saw... Um, 
uh, Dan Ariely, who's a, a behavioral economist slash psychologist, um, give, give, give a funny talk about kind of um, incentive structures and uh, uh, procrastination. Um, and he was saying that if um, if a, a, a foreign civilization, an alien civilization came and visited Earth, um, they would think that the most pressing health concern that humans have, that, that the health issue that, that humans worry about the most must be gum disease. Because almost all people, multiple times a day, do this preventative thing to help prevent gum disease, which is brushing their teeth, right? And they, people do it much more often than they exercise or, you know, do other things that are, like, good for health. Um, but it's not actually that we're so concerned about gum disease. It's that there's this, like, really short-term benefit that has a uh, uh, straw that, that you are punished for in some ways by not doing, right? Which is like having stinky breath. So we brush our teeth for one reason, and it has the consequence of like being good for gum later on. Um, alas, poor flossing is not as good for making you smell minty fresh, but is as important or more important for, you know, gum disease and general mouth health. Um, so I, I, I really got a kick out of that, like, that there's this different incentive structure that prioritizes doing doing one health behavior over 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 another. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, so floss it's good for you. It's good. You know, one of the things <laughs> when we start, so we're on episode ten, Juliet. When we started on episode <laughs> one, do you think anyone, including you or me, would predict that with <laughs> you know a few months later we're talking about flossing? Um, you know, these are these are the things that like. That somehow I uh, somehow come up in my classes or when I'm talking to students and, you know, in course evaluations when it's like, what do you remember from this class? But like, I remember that I'm supposed to wear my earplugs and I'm supposed to floss and I'm supposed to wear a helmet when I ride my bike. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I'd like you to remember a couple of things about psychology. Right. Too, but, but those, <laughs> well, those are also You're having a public so. health uh, influence on people. It's good. <laughs> so the, I can't let our podcast listeners escape without hearing those. Right. No, I mean, it's good. So, I mean, the thing that I find... Um, uh, I'm sure I'm not alone. I, I was going to say fascinating. Flossing is maybe not fascinating, but it's such a good example of like of habits, right? And so for I mean for me, I go through stages where I'm really good about flossing, and then I'll travel a bunch or get sick, and then I won't do it for a few days, and then it's like you know embarrassingly long before I get back to it. So I need. Mm -hmm someone like you, Julia, to remind me, you know, like how important it is and to get back to it. But it also just is sort of like a good test case for like how, how helpful habits are and how easy it is to break them. I know there are people who actually research this, which I don't. Um, but uh, yeah, it's sort of, it's kind of, it's kind of scary to me how, how much power that has over me. Well, just listen to my mom's dentist's voice in your ear saying, you want to keep yeah no that's very helpful i like that, that. really that really haunts me. Yeah, yeah good yeah haunting is good <laughs> you mentioned the helmet too and i think that's another great one. Oh, you know <clears throat> okay so for most people many many people when i'm having this conversation with students many students would report that their most like prized possession their like most valuable object that they have is their phone Right. And they're try they try to be very careful with it and they don't get it wet and they usually put a case on it to take good care of it and they would never drop it. And, you know, if they know they're going to be doing some dangerous activity, they secure it. Um, and it's this, you know, little hunk of metal and wires and whatever that we that we take super good care of. Uh, but then I will see the same students out riding a bicycle with their actually most precious possession, which is the you know, 
four pounds of meatloaf in their skull, um, unprotected. Uh, there, there are types of damage that it's really hard for bodies to recover from. Ears, hearing, uh, uh, hearing, noise-induced hearing loss is one of those. Um, boy, brains are just literally a soft loaf of meatloaf. And getting them banged around inside a hard thing like a skull um, can do a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. And helmets keep you safe. Mm-hmm. Wear helmets. All right, that's a good one. I, I, we have, um, let's see, I have at least one good friend who was uh, very carefully riding their bicycle and a car did not hit them but turned right in front of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they uh, uh, ran smack into the side of, it was a van actually, they ran smack into the side of the van um, and very likely had uh, their lives saved by wearing a helmet. And then another friend of a friend who got run off the road by a car when they were biking and uh, also had their life saved by their helmet. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, we can all be safe at whatever we're doing, but we can't always control other people. Uh, and I think in this case, you know, erring on the side of safety is probably good. One of the things, so an objection that people sometimes give to wearing helmets is that, you know, they don't look cool. Um, I have toyed with the idea. I haven't actually done this, but I kind of want to, but it's not quite my style. So maybe somebody else can pick this up. Um, if you see someone who is not wearing a helmet to shout after them, Hey, you'd look a lot cooler if you had a helmet on. That's awesome. I like that. You, you <laughs> should make that a class project. Like if, if people could send you a video of them doing that, then, you know, they go on the video wall. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you want to like encourage taunting, I guess, is maybe. I know. Or so, so maybe, maybe we should just do like, you know, reinforcing the behavior we want. Yeah. When yeah. Yeah. See someone wearing a helmet, be like, yeah. Hey, you look cool in your helmet, but I don't know. People are going to misinterpret that as, as mocking too. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Exactly. You have to wait for the culture shift. <laughs> no, I want to be the culture shift. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, good for you. There was, there was a whole, um, there's a Seinfeld episode where Jerry was, um, trying to change what you say when you sneeze. So if someone sneezes, you might say tight or, or God bless you. And he said, well, no one, no one cares about that. What you want to tell someone is you're so good looking. <laughs> and I actually, I forget the whole rest of the plot, but I do remember that. I don't think it caught on because that was like 30 years ago now and people, people don't say it, but it, it's a good, it's a good thought. So this is like your version of that. People can ride by with a helmet and you say, Hey, you look cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I have a couple, um, and I, I, I feel like all of mine are a little bit boring. Like yours seem cool. Like, Not like, like flossing. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. But your students remembered it anyway. So um, anyway, <laughs> but I'm not going to apologize. I'm just going to own my own my soapboxes. Um, mm-hmm. So one is uh, so this. I am not a financial advisor, uh, and so I'll talk about finances, and it will sound like advice. But I'm obviously not qualified to give you financial advice. But you should have a budget. It doesn't matter if it's complicated or simple. Uh, it's a way to keep track of how much money you have and how much money you're spending and to plan for life goals, whether that is buying a cup of coffee next week or buying a house someday or whatever, retirement, everything in between. Now, I think most people that I talk to are not super excited about budgets. So um, that's why I was sort of apologizing for it. I started doing a keeping a little budget in Excel um, really end of undergraduate going into graduate school. And it was very simple. I I mean, I don't have them anymore, but they had like six categories, but I knew how much my paycheck was. And I knew like my main bills and expenses. And then I had a number at the end that was like, here's how much you have left over. And the reason I like it is that um, 
I mean, it's great. So yes, planning for future stuff is super helpful, but on a monthly or weekly basis, not running out of money is really a nice thing to do. And it can be really stressful, especially if you are don't have a lot of extra money um, and you can feel like you can't spend any money because you don't want to run out of money. And so, of course, no one should, you know, hopefully be running out of money. But that fear of not knowing how much you have can be really stressful. And so what I found um, is that actually keeping track of, of stuff in a budget let me sort of relax a little bit and say, you know what, I can spend X amount of dollars on going out to dinner because I know how much money I have and how much I'm going to spend this month and, you know, and so on and so forth. So starting early was really helpful. And then as like finances got more complicated, um, I already had the skills to deal with it. So I've also felt like even if I, okay, maybe I didn't have to as an undergraduate student with housing paid for or whatever, but um, starting at, at that point kind of gave me the skills so that later on, when things got complicated, I was much better at it and kind of used to thinking about it that way. Um, and so it's a good life skill to have that you should start as soon as you can. And has that also helped with like budgeting for, you know, grant and lab things? You know, it has actually. Um, so the biggest, so I'm also picky. So you have to find whatever budget system works for you. Everyone finds stuff that's different. The thing that, that really, um, and a lot of them, I don't like a lot of the, the kind of, Standard ones, they just don't work for the way that I, I think about it. But for me, the, the thing that is challenging about both personal finances and grants is that what you really care about is sort of the big picture. Like over the year, how much do I spend on this on average? Like there are monthly bills and they're always the same every month and that's super helpful. But then there are things like, you know, once a year I'm going to spend money on a trip. But if I just, if I, I have to save a little bit every month to pay for that. And so if I write that down, I know I have to spend you know, put in the bank X dollars per month. And then by next July, I'll have enough money for it. But that's really hard to keep track of in the back of your head. And grants are the same way. It's like, well, I have X amount of money for the whole year, but I need to like forecast my expenses for the whole year. So I don't like overspend early on. And I do see a lot of people struggle with that. And I, you know, anyway, it's, it's very stressful. So having a big view is good. The, um, the two, so I'm going to, I'm going to, make recommendations for the two things that have worked for me. And obviously they may not work for you. One is a, um, uh, it's, it's a Mac app called budget by Snowmint software. I'll put a, um, a link in the show notes to this. It's very simple. It, and, and it has some downsides too, but I like this. It's, it's sort of the envelope method. So old school budgeting is you literally have a paper envelope for every category. Um, you put your cash in the envelope and when it's gone, it's gone. And and this is kind of a pain to set up, but the advantage is it sort of prevents you from spending money you don't have, like i.e. going into credit card debt. Um, and so this is sort of an electronic version of that, but I like it because of the way it keeps track of categories and it sort of lets the expenses fluctuate from month to month. And I just know every month I kind of divide up my income a certain way. A downside is it does not easily connect with your bank accounts online. And that is a big pain. Um, so... Yeah, so kind of use at your own discretion. Uh, the other thing I've just started using um, is you need a budget, Y-N-A-B, uh, and which is, I, I actually put off trying it because I thought the name w- was stupid, but um, it's got a good website and a good app. It connects really well to like all my bank accounts, um, and it's a little bit similar. It's a little more envelope system-like um, than some of the other things out there. The downside is both of those cost a little bit of money. 
I found that, um, you know, having paying for that probably in my, in my guess, I get that money back by spending smarter and saving money and so on. Uh, but obviously if you need a free solution, there are also free solutions out there. Mint is a popular one, which I could never quite get to work, but lots of people really like Mint and their other, their other options. So if you don't do anything, I would just suggest doing something and I bet it will help you out either now or in the future. I have another. So as long as we're on boring financial stuff that I'm not qualified to give advice on, my other one is related to budgeting is to save is start saving money. Um, and so around the time when I started keeping a budget, I mean, so as a you know, undergraduate student and graduate student, I did not have a lot of extra money. Um, but I did start putting $25 a month in a retirement account. Um, and it was just like in principle, I just thought that, uh, you know, well, anyway, who knows what the future holds for any of us academic careers it takes a long time to get a quote unquote real job. Um, and so, uh, you know, you don't have retirement benefits or anything like that. And so I thought I should start, I should start young. And that was helpful also for just the principle of starting that going. Um, and I, you know, you can't, if for me, and I think for most people, if you think, okay, I'm going to spend all my money in my budget. And if I have leftover money, I will then save it. Uh, that never works because there's never anything left over because you always think of something else to spend the money on. And so the, like the, the kind of cheesy advice, which is, but which is true is pay yourself first. So set up a monthly auto debit to, you know, pay certain bills and also to do some um, savings or investing your retirement account. And so you're only working like your kind of functional budget. You've already put that money away for yourself. Um, and that's really the only way I've ever found to like effectively, effectively save money. And the nice thing about that is once you set it up, you can just sort of forget about it and it's still helping you out again, helping your future self. And, um, and then, and then if you're in a position in a future point to, to do more, you can, or if, if you really need to change it, you can always, uh, you know, reduce it, but there's a little bit of effort to doing that. And so that barrier to the barrier to stopping saving is also kind of useful. So, um, that was really useful for me. And then after, you know, five or 10 years of doing that, I said, Oh, you know, I had, I had something there that I would not have had otherwise. Um, and then my recommendation for savings is a, I'm going to call it an app, but I mean, really it's a bank that has an app. It's acorns, uh, and it's acorns because you can like squirrel away little bits of money and it adds up. Uh, yeah, like a little squirrel. squirrel. Um, and they, what I like about it is they have, they have a very nice app and it, it, so now it's investing your money. And when you invest money, you might lose all of it. And so you always have to be aware of that risk. So you have to be careful about putting all your eggs in one basket, so to say. But they have a little projection line. So if you, you know, if you spend it, if you put away a dollar a week, here's how much you'll have when you're 80 years old, you know, and that, oh, if you want to put $2 a week, here's how much you'll have. And so a dollar a week doesn't seem like very much, but depending on how old you are, if you look at what that can grow to when you're 80, potentially, that can be very motivating. Um, and you can also link it up with your credit cards or debit cards if that's something you do and sort of auto round up so that every time you make a purchase, it like rounds up to the nearest dollar and just saves that amount. So I like it. I actually, I don't use that because I um, that messes up with my budgeting. But um, but for people who really don't want to think about saving money and like setting up a monthly withdrawal seems like too too much of a hassle. I think this is a way to share something uh, or to save something um, that is pretty low um, pretty low barrier to entry. And, and it's, again, it's just a bank account that you have sitting there and can, you know, hopefully help, help your future self out. Mm -hmm. 
as you were talking about that, the um, uh, uh, being yourself first um, and not having all your eggs in one basket, reminding me of like that. We we have talked about time Mm -hmm. on this podcast in similar ways, Um, you know, of, you know, making sure you have budgeted in breaks and not investing all of your energy in one project that can, you know, quickly go south. Um, Well, I think there's a nice uh, end of the year metaphor be made there. We've come full circle. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Another one on my list that has become, uh, that has become kind of a thing that I get on my soapbox about just lately, but seems particularly pertinent, uh, given your situation right now, Jonathan, with little children, Mm -hmm. tiny babies at home. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was pregnant, the most common, like, piece of advice that I got from other people was, uh, make sure you sleep now because you're not going to sleep once the baby comes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the advice that I have is that no one should ever say that to another human ever again. <laughs> Here's why. Here's why. Um, for, 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 for a couple of different reasons. One, um, that's not actually advice because that's not how sleep works. Right. Like I can't just sleep all of this week and then not have to sleep next week. Mm-hmm. You can't like you can't actually bank it. So it's not really meaningful advice. Um what it what it seems to be is just people's way of saying, like, oh, I know something about this experience and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you about my experience, uh, in the in, you know, in the in the in the guise of giving you advice in like in an advice shaped package. Um but it's not actual advice because it, it doesn't actually work. It's also, um, oh, okay, when, when, when you have a baby, uh, probably this is even more true when you have two babies. I don't know. Jump in here. Um, a lot of things happen. One is you don't get enough sleep. Another is you get, like, hit by the love train in a way that you never have before. And it's, like, it, it for me at least, was a really incredible moving experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and doing this advice of, like, Oh, sleep now because you're not going to get to sleep later. Um, is just like drawing people's attention to the to a negative part of what is really complicated and in many ways super beautiful experience. Um, so I have kind of likened it to if someone's like, "Oh, I'm going on a trip," and your friend says, "Oh, you're going on a trip? Wow. Well, you know, good luck with the traveler's indigestion that you're sure to get at some point on your trip, mm-hmm. right?" And mm-hmm. it's like. That's what you're going to focus on. You're going to focus on that thing and not the see the beautiful sights and meet people you haven't met before, you know, mm-hmm. all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and I know what people mean. They just they mean like I, too, went through that and maybe they kind of are trying to, I don't know, show some empathy or something. Um, but this is not actually it's not actually advice. Yeah. Well, maybe there's like a broader point there, too, just about. You know, many of us, it's a human thing, right? To try to relate to other what other people are going through. And if you've been through it and you remember sort of, oh, I, all these things I didn't know what to expect. And now I, you know, with hindsight, I kind of know I want to, I want to, you know, somehow join with you in that or tell you what was hard for me. Um, mm-hmm. And and sometimes that's not helpful, right? Like sometimes people have to get through, get through that stage themselves. And so telling mm-hmm. someone, you know, giving lots of unsolicited advice about, graduate school or or getting married or having kids like i mean you know i'm not saying you should never talk about those things but maybe just think about you know how you're going to set people up for that and everyone experiences it differently um and so yeah not just focusing on the hard parts too right 
we're getting very meta here with our we, advice we, on advice. We are, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like here's, here's some unsolicited advice about how to not give unsolicited uh, advice. Yeah, you picked up on that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, 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 you know, and also that if, if the advice or, you know, what, what you're saying to people is you won't believe or you can't understand or, you know, if, if it's something that is like given in that way, then like that, that has always kind of really struck me as what's the point of giving that then? Mm-hmm. Right. Like you're not going to believe how dot, dot, dot. It's like, well, okay. So I guess I can't believe that until it happens. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thanks for the warning. Yep. Well, yeah. And, and I think so being in the middle of, of being um, a tiny bit sleep deprived right now, um, you know, I don't know. I, everyone experiences life differently. Everyone experiences, you know, parenthood differently and things like that. And as much as on a moment to moment basis, for sure, I'd like more sleep. But when I look back on this time, I'm not, I just don't think I'm not going to tell people like, oh, like you had new children. What do you remember? You know, and I'm not going to just kind of complain for 20 minutes about not getting enough sleep. I'll probably say, you know, I was tired, but all this other great stuff happened. I mean, that's kind of what I'm, you know, that's, Anyway, there's lots of positive stuff that, that evens it out. So I just think it is a defining feature, but it's not the main, it's not the main, main thing I'm going to be thinking about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when I, I'm having conversations with people who are very, who are about to have children, rather than saying things about, oh yeah, you should sleep. I just say things like, oh, I just remember their tiny little feet are so cute and their little way their eyes move sleep. And, you know, mm-hmm. talking about the stuff that's like, fun and exciting and you know yeah sweet i like that yeah. yep i mean you are you are tired now jonathan i just if only i had suggested that you sleep yeah, exactly the then i would have saved oh. you from this <laughs> sorry family i would love to help out with the kids but julia said i have to sleep now so <laughs> the other thing and this is not even advice i'm just um i'm just sharing so I got a lot of it, people talked a lot about diapers with me before before having kids, and I have to. And again, everyone's different. Like on the scale of stuff you have to deal with as a parent, diapers are just not <laughs> a big deal. Like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we don't have to go into too much detail about these things, but just like you want to take care of your kids, and so you change their diaper, and like maybe the first one is a little. If you've never done it before, the first one is probably a little bit challenging. And by diaper five thousand, like who cares? Um, anyways, so I was, I, in retrospect, I'm just surprised by how much diaper advice I got. And I'm just like how little that affects my daily life with any of our kids. One of my, one of my husband's friends, um, before we were expecting our first one, you know, like at our baby shower or something. And, uh, this, the friend was like, you know, people talk about, like, yeah, people, you know, talk about this a lot. The deal is by the time you get to like the fourth one, you're never going to get any better at it. It's just, you just figure it out and that's mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yep. And then you move on with your day because who cares? Yep. 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 Uh, and, and I think, I mean, as long as we're going meta about advice here, um, uh, one of the things that I have really come to understand since having children is how, how differently people experience even shared experiences, right? Like, I see another mom who has kids my age and I may think, wow, we have a lot in common because here we are with kids the same age. But depending on the kinds of kids that we have and where we are in life and the kind of partners we have and all of that, um, the things that I have found that have worked may not work at all for her and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that is particularly tough about like giving parenting advice is that there's just such a small sample size problem. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like I only know about how to raise two kids and they're the two that I happen to get. Um, and, and the advice that I have, the things that work for me may not work at all, you know, for, for anybody. So I think being a scientist and knowing that small sample sizes are not representative, uh, has, has helped me bite my tongue. About mm-hmm. advice in some mm-hmm. Well, and there, there is, I mean, if you can't, if you can't bite your tongue, um, speaking for personal experience, but sometimes framing it in a way that is, is less, um, a little more acknowledging of that issue, right? So as opposed to saying, here's what you should do because it's the way to do it mm-hmm. as opposed to here's something I tried and it worked, but who knows what will work for you. Um, I yeah. think even just, yeah, framing it differently that way can be, can be helpful to people and sort of not being so prescriptive, but just sharing with, with you know, judiciously and not, not, not talking too much about it. So I have um, I have another technical one to share, and this is pr- this may be not as broadly applicable to like everyone in the world. It might be more to our listeners. <laughs> not like diapers. <laughs> not like right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, flossing. You know, that's very that's yeah, that's right, the universal right. truth. Um, mm-hmm. If but but I think for if you are um, doing computer things and psychology or you know related related disciplines, which you might be since you're listening to me and Julia. Um, spending a little bit of time getting to know a terminal, uh, is really useful. And by a terminal, and I don't know how this, this is a little trickier on a PC, so I'm not going to, so I will let you PC people figure this out on, on your own, but on a Linux machine or a Mac, um, there's usually a terminal program or sometimes it's called a shell. We have to click on comes up, you get some text, um, and then you have to just like type your commands in right in that window. And so it's not point and clicky. Um, I'm sure you all know that, but I just have to say that just in case. Why is this useful? Um, a couple of reasons. There are some uh, computer programs that really kind of emulate that terminal functionality. And so just being able to like change a directory or remove a file or copy a file, you know, there's sort of like 10 basic commands that will get you 90% or more of what you need to learn about it. And sometime you may be faced with a situation where you're getting remote access to a machine and all you have is that terminal. And if you don't know how to do those basic things like listing files and so on, you're going to be stuck. But if you have that knowledge, it can really, it can um, be super helpful. I was going to say it can save your life. That's not true. I I mean, unless probably if you're in certain action movies, yes, knowing the (laughs) terminal, you know, clickety clackety, all of a sudden you've diffused a nuclear bomb. That's how I always feel when I'm working in the terminal. Right, right. Um, Hack into the mainframe. Right, but I have been in situations where you know the the data we have is on this old computer, and there's the monitor is busted, and so you have to, you know, connect it on the network, and this is the only way to do it. So I, I think a little bit of experience can be super helpful, and there are honestly there are daily tasks which you can sometimes do in the terminal, which if you know how to do it, are um, can be handy. So I think it's worth like, you know, a morning, a rainy morning, or a rainy day to get a little bit of um, experience with that. And relatedly, if you, now if you ignore that advice, then part two of my advice doesn't make any sense. But if you take part one of my advice, which is get to know the terminal a little bit, then you should also take part two, which is get to know Ooh, Vim. Jonathan, I'm getting a phone call. That might be my tenure call. Okay, uh, okay I'm going to answer it. I'm going to answer it.
Hi, Jonathan. I got tenure. Congratulations. I'm, I'm not surprised, but I'm very happy for you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, can we, is it, can we, can we, should we wrap it up? Yeah, yeah we can wrap it up. Yeah. Well, you're saying your head isn't quite in this right now? I'm saying, I'm saying I got, you know, some, some phone calls. I want yeah, to yeah, yeah, of course. So I'm going to sign off at this point because I have some happy phone calls to make um, and a little mini bottle to drink. And uh, I wish you all the best and I'll talk to you next time. Bye, Jonathan. Right, bye, Julia. So unfortunately, after that, uh, anything I say is very anticlimactic, but I'm going to um, instead finish up my other advice, uh, which is about if you listen to my terminal advice, then you should listen to my advice about Vim. Vim is a text editor that um, is based in the terminal. Uh, it started off as VI. I don't know if you say V, V, uh, but then VI improved is Vim. And so you type Vim at the terminal. You can edit lots of files. It's kind of a pain. There are a small number of people in the world who swear by Vim for everything. And they're like, you should do all your coding in Vim and be a Vim expert. And you can configure color schemes and all sorts of other things. Um, I'm not suggesting you go that route. I mean, if you want to, more power to you. But the reason it's useful is if you're on a computer, for example, not your own computer that has a terminal. And so this could be someone else's Mac, someone else's Linux machine, a server that you have remote access to, but there's literally no monitor you can look at. And you need to edit a file, even like a very simple file, um, like a text file. Lots of lots of servers have little text files you need to change configuration settings on and so on. Um, you can just do it in Vim. Just a few keystrokes, add a, add a line, add a couple comments, save it and quit. And that will also save you a lot of time. And I, I'll tell you, so I've quote unquote known vim for like i mean it, over a decade at this point which makes me feel very old i forget almost all of the commands but i know enough to like search for the commands and search for a vim cheat sheet and very quickly i can you know get you know add lines edit text save a file things like that um and so that's another one i'd recommend it's i think it's easier and slightly more widespread than emacs but a lot of a lot of uh you know, a lot of computers also have Emacs built in. So that's another, that's another option. I do think, so uh, Julia's not here because she, she left. Um, and I, I don't know if she'll listen to this part, but I apologize, Julia, for like, if you could predict what would be the most downer of a topic to have after you got tenure, like going right to Vim in the terminal uh, might be high on the list. So I apologize for, for that, but at least I didn't steal your thunder. Right. Yeah. If Julia were here, she'd agree with me. I have one last thing to mention here, um, and, 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 and I have a selfish reason for it, which you'll see in a minute. So one another little bit of advice is that lots of people who make podcasts uh, do it out of the goodness of their heart because they enjoy it, and, uh, and that's true for me and Julia too, and we want people to know about the podcast. How do people find out about the podcast? Well, uh, they find out from their friends, and they find out from people having juice and squeeze stickers on their water bottles and computers, and they also find out about it through um, the iTunes Store, which is still, uh, you know, Apple Podcasts, which is still sort of the main place where podcasts get listed, and lots of other services will, you know, redirect from um, from the Apple Podcast site. So, um, giving any podcast you like a, a nice rating, like a five star rating. 
and leaving a little paragraph about you like it as a about why you like it as a review is super helpful and that lets other people help discover the podcast also my understanding is that um, and all the algorithms are very secret and no one really knows but they sort of refresh every while so if like a hundred people leave a review the first week and then even if the podcast is still awesome but no one leaves a review for a year those sort of have less of an impact and so there seems to be a priority for you know podcasts that get lots of reviews on an ongoing basis so if you have a podcast you like which could be this one could be another one take two minutes and you can do it on the um, you can do it in itunes you can do it on your phone on the itunes podcast app whatever you can just leave us a little review about what you like why you like the show and we really you know we read all of that stuff and we really appreciate all of you listening listening to us and giving us feedback it just keeps us going and it's really made for a really wonderful a wonderful year together so um julia if you were still here i would thank you for everything you've done on the podcast it's been a great start and we look forward to doing more next year thanks for listening everybody we really appreciate you hope you have a wonderful end of this year and a wonderful start to 2020 and we'll be back to talk to you soon bye